So you came up with this this topic for the, or actually the title for the the show, I Heart Lettuce. I thought it was a good play on words. So you know, talk about heart and aspirin. You also talk about lettuce and you know E. coli, right? So also other foodborne illnesses. But I think that I'll, I'll give you credit for that. Well, oh, I appreciate that. You're listening to Recommended Daily Dose with Drs. Clinton Coleman and Suraj Sugar, the not-so-average health show with a unique spin on what's making headlines in healthcare. We'll introduce ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Clinton Coleman from Holy Name Medical Center. I am joined by, what's, what's your name again? Uh, Dr. Suraj Sugar from Holy Name Medical Center here in lovely Teaneck, New Jersey, infectious disease physician. and I think An expert? I would like to consider myself an expert. I've seen you on Except, TV. I've seen you on TV. And I, you know, it's funny. I've seen you on TV as well. So well, you're pretty popular. I think you have more likes than I do. That's the thing. So I'm, I'm not quite as savvy with social media as you. But I'm hoping oh, to ride your coattails. I, well, I usually am the most handsome guy in the room when I'm in the room with you. But uh, that, that, no disrespect. But obviously, I'm, I'm better dressed. You are you're wearing sweats. All right, so, That's <laughs> the beauty of a podcast. No one can see what I'm wearing. So uh, you know, we're here today, and you know, foodborne illness is a massive problem. So let's put it in perspective. We all, everyone likes some stats, not too many stats, but any given year, one out of every six Americans will come down with a foodborne illness. That leads up to 120,000, 120,000, you heard it right, hospitalizations every year. And you know what? This is not just a pain in the butt. That's, that's uh, you know, not just being funny. It's more than diarrhea and nausea and staying at home. Believe it or not, this can translate to usually about 3,000 deaths every year from foodborne illness. So this is not a benign problem. And I'm sure you've heard some stuff in the news as of, uh, as of late. I hear it all the time in the news. You, you think that's a hygiene issue or the way they process the food? Because every time you turn around, there's, there's, you know, there's salmonella, there's E. coli, there's listeria. Well, you know, there's listeria uh, in ice cream earlier in the year. And just recently, uh, Costco, Aldi, some other supermarkets had listeria contamination, some of their fruits and vegetables. Everyone's heard about, of course, the E. coli outbreaks with the lettuce in the past year. Uh, believe it or not, there was salmonella in flour recently. And early in the year, there was in cereal, uh, my favorite, uh, Golden Smacks. So this is a huge problem that we're hearing more and more about. So first of all, who's responsible for inspecting our food? We know it's the FDA and the USDA. And there were some issues with the F- concerns with the FDA during the government shutdown uh, about not watching our food. So now we're back in business. But again, any given year, even with the FDA uh, working at full strength, we still have all these outbreaks. So question, of course, is why is this? And I think it's really a reflection of how we uh, source and grow our food. Everything is now industrialized. So we have massive farms in California that are utilizing, because of good weather, et cetera, growing foods. But then you're also near possible contaminated water sources. You have a farm upstream or what have you. So because food is no longer just local, food is grown in one place, then it's shipped somewhere else, it's uh, manufactured, it's packaged. There's just more points, if you will, where bacteria, viruses, other things, other, even parasites can be introduced along that food supply chain. And also we're probably better at picking it up, right? Like before when you had some listeria so, in your ice cream, you just probably had some, uh, some good time in the bathroom. And that's then, right, that's right. But now we know exactly what's so, you know, in there. The one thing we're certainly in infectious disease world that we always try to look for is source control. So if we suspect an outbreak, we report it to a local health department, it gets to the state. If we think there's an outbreak, it goes to the federal investigations. We have the USDA, we have the FDA investigating very quickly. And again, this takes time, but we have gotten very adroit, very skillful at identifying the source in general of these foodborne illnesses and hopefully shutting it down 
right where it starts. But this is still something we have to be aware of because in any given year, you can have massive numbers. Again, so 3,000 deaths a year. This is, this is not uh, benign stuff. So you, you think our goal is to have what? How many, I guess how many episodes would be appropriate? Because there has to be some kind of uh, you know, threshold. There can't be... You know, I don't think we can get to a zero-sum game. Right. I think uh, we should be... Just like, at, just like drinking water. Potable water is not free of anything. It's just there's a certain amount of... Things that are acceptable. Stuff that we'll tolerate. And look, we're not here to scare the public, right? So, again, majority of people will get better uh, on their own. They're going to have some diarrhea. They're going to feel weak. If you ever had it, you ever had an outbreak in your house where one person gets sick and everyone gets sick, it's, it's, it's miserable. All the time. Yeah. All the time. You know, and then the kids get it, and then it's really it's, uh, it's a free-for-all in the house. And we'll save some of the graphics, but you know, afterwards, you really have to clean up everything. But most people do get better three to five days after their first ingest of food. The problem is the most vulnerable population, the very young, the very old, those with compromised immune systems, right? So they're the ones who could have the worst outcomes, including death. So again, I don't know if it's even possible to get to a zero-sum game, but our idea, our job as physicians is to go out there, identify, I guess we would call the symptoms, right? So, and then say, I always ask patients, did you eat out somewhere? Did you go to a new restaurant? Did you go to a, a picnic? Did you eat food that could have been spoiled? Right. Uh, whatever. Did you travel somewhere recently? And so really just trying to take a, a good history and then trying to identify very quickly uh, where the contamination might have been and then reporting it to the proper authorities so then the investigation can start. Right. I think the media's done a great job of you know, staying on top of it, right? So as soon as an outbreak happens, you know, we all know about it. And I think that's the only, one of the things that you can control mostly is you know, when it happens to, to stop it. Absolutely, man. So that's our job here. Disseminate the information, people to be aware. And this is just general public, not just physicians, other healthcare providers. And then with more awareness, you know, we can be, stay on top of things. And you're right, the media, by reporting on this, you know, I see it. I see someone who, uh, uh, something shares something on social media. And a lot of times these things can be sensationalized. But in terms of foodborne illness, this is something the more people are aware the more people are informed, it really is empowering. Right. You know, in the meantime, I tell people separate the food, clean the food, refrigerate their food afterwards. So there's certain things that, you know, they teach anyone, basic food prep to avoid. Wash uh, your hands. Uh, wash your hands, very important. We call that hand hygiene, actually. That's, that's its proper terminology. But wash your hands is the old terminology. Sanitation engineer, yes. <laughs> so we also want to talk about what to do with aspirin, right? So who, who actually needs aspirin? So we know that low-dose aspirin is recommended for patients with heart disease or even those who are at risk for heart disease, like you know, diabetes or high blood pressure. But there was a recent study asking the question, does aspirin help you know, healthy individuals? Yeah, so basically it's coming out of England. You know, I was saying we know aspirin is helpful in people who've already had an event. So you had a stroke, you had a heart attack, you have a stent in place, you had a bypass surgery. Or if you have multiple risk factors, you know, you smoke all day long, you have high blood pressure and super high, strong family history. But what if you're middle-aged or even a senior citizen, you don't right. fall in one of the two, two camps? You know, if you take a low-dose daily aspirin, is there a benefit? Should, should everyone take aspirin is the question. Right? Well, you know, the study uh, actually wasn't all that definitive. It basically said there is some benefit, but there's also increased risk of bleeding. Because remember, right. aspirin thins your blood. And this is not just bleeding from your gums, this is major bleeding, so intracranial bleeding or, you know, other, you know, risks, major risks of bleeding. So yeah, and, you know, they looked at like 12 trials, like 160,000 patients. And so they really had a very good, what we call N, number of patients that they looked at. And the, the benefits were minimal. They were small, and they were what we call modest in the, in the uh, talk of clinical medicine. 
But again, when you have to balance it with this risk, what's the take-home message? I mean, take-home message was very ambiguous. It basically is that we can't give a sweeping statement. Yes, you should take it. No, you shouldn't take it. All right, so let me give you uh, some numbers. So, sure. So aspirin decreased the risk for heart attack, stroke, and death by 0.38%. So let's just round up 0.4%, right? Right. But the risk of major bleeding was 0.47 or 0.5%. So you're more likely to have bleeding... Than you are to have a improved uh, benefit from For patients aspirin. without heart without disease. Without any heart, right? Right. So we want to make that clear. Very clear. Again, we'll even say it again. There's no question if you've had an event in the past or you have a very high risk, a daily aspirin is, is, uh, is uh, good for you. It's this other ambiguous uh, risk groups of middle-aged and senior citizens who don't fall in those two categories that this study looked at. And, you know, what's the conclusion? What, I mean, what are we really looking at? I mean, the idea is that, you know what, end of the day, there's a risk-benefit aspect to taking aspirin. And as everything in medicine, it's more of a gray than a white and a black. Right. You really need to talk to your healthcare provider. And your doctor is the best person to, or your healthcare provider is the best person to determine, you know, what therapy is the most beneficial, has the least amount of risk. So you take, I mean, you, know, you do internal medicine, you do a lot of primary care. Uh, we know that there's a lot of these risk calculators, uh, right, that they're very good in, in putting in what? They put in your male versus female, family history, right. your blood pressure, what else? And Diabetes. Numerous uh, metabolic disorders, so high cholesterol, et cetera. And you basically get a risk. And then you take that risk, you discuss it with your physician, and you need to understand as a patient why he is or isn't recommending aspirin to you. And if you find that your risk of heart disease is unacceptably high, then maybe you're willing to take, you and your physician are willing to take the risk of possible, again, it's still very small, increased bleeding. But again, you know, patients oftentimes in medicine want, should doc, should I take this? Doc, should I not take this? Right, they want yes or no, right? They want yes or no. It's not that clear cut. No, you know, I I wish it was, because in med school, it was A, B, C, or D. I don't know about you, I always pick C. Um, I don't remember what I put. I rotated, so... You rotated sometimes A, sometimes Had a nice B. rotation. It worked you, out well for me, though. But, you know, once you get into... The, that's the training of medicine. Once you get into the... You know, that's the science of medicine, but the art of medicine is not always so clear, right? So once you get into prior practice, uh, you're practicing uh, as a physician, as an attending, you realize, you know, studies can show one thing, but you, how you interpret those studies are not always clear. Right, you want to treat each patient individually. You don't want to treat the patient like a study. So each, you know, each pe- person is their own unique individual with their own unique problems. So something that works for someone else doesn't necessarily work for that patient. So, so we know, don't want to confuse the, the listeners out there. So what, you know, as an internal medicine doc, what do you want them to ask you if they come in? Doc, should I take aspirin? Right, so I would ask your doctor, would, aspirin, would I benefit from taking a daily aspirin you know, based on my history? Not just a shotgun approach of taking one aspirin a day if you don't have any heart disease or risks for heart disease. So, so in the meantime, it's really just an apple a day is the only thing we can say for sure. Is that right? I don't know about an apple a day. There's a lot of sugar in apples. So. <laughs> uh, there's fiber, too. That's a discussion perhaps for our next podcast. So stay tuned. You can find us at holyname.org slash recommended daily dose. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. Thanks again. Check out recent episodes and learn more about these two modern medicine men and their podcast at holyname.org slash recommended daily dose.